Welcome to the Pursue of Bliss podcast. My name is Kristen. I'm a self-professed health, spirituality, and mindset junkie. You know that blissful happiness you feel when you're just at peace with yourself, living fully in the present moment? That's the feeling I believe we are all in the pursuit of. And I want to help you get one step closer by up-leveling your health, mindset, and love for yourself. Because that lasting and blissful happiness can only be found and created within. So get ready for all things mindset, holistic health, and spirituality. I hope this serves you. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here and um, so honored that you are here with us today. I'm so excited to be here, Kristen. Thank you. Of course. And uh, let's just dive right into it. If you want to start by uh, telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So currently I am in Austin, Texas, a transplant from New York City, which still has a piece of my heart. And I am an intimacy coach and psychedelic somatic therapist to what I believe are some of the world's most powerful women and couples. And so I guide clients on a journey of learning how to open their hearts, relate more deeply to their emotions, and create a space of safe and authentic expression in their sexuality, both in a coaching container and with the right clients through the use of guided psychedelic experiences. I can't wait to dive into all of this. But first, how did you get into a space where you are teaching all of this? What was your journey like to be where you are now? Totally. So like most people who find themselves in roles that support the evolution and growth of humanity, it's typically because we've gone on our own journey with it. And I have definitely gone on my own journey with my sexuality with showing up as fully authentic and expressed. And what preceded that was a childhood full of needing to be a high performer or else there would be punishment or withdrawal of love on the other side of that. Growing up in a childhood where I needed to be presentable and well-mannered all the time. And so I grew up with the idea that I wasn't safe or I wouldn't have love given to me if I was anything other than well-behaved, well-put-together, or high-achieving. So I did my best to stay in a very narrow and straight line in order to keep my mom's love. And these are some of the, the deep psychological aspects that we don't realize as children that in retrospect as an adult, I'm like, oh, wow, there are my mommy issues <laughs> showing up in my relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, but what that also caused me to do was because I was so well-behaved, in my academics, at home, in social settings, I found an outlet to express myself and to explore myself through sexuality. This was the one place my mom didn't know about that I could rebel, that I could receive the love that I was longing for at home. And so I sought this love and connection in my relationships. And so this caused me to explore very early on with my own sexual preferences, desires, boundaries. And while I had no idea what I was doing at first, this led me on an evolutionary journey to really getting to know myself. And in these latter years, getting to see all the places that I've held some deep shame and guilt around how I have evolved as a sexual being. And it's, it's in my relationship now that I've done a lot of uncovering around my sexuality. And so all of that has come together in me supporting women and couples in learning how to open their hearts, learning how to explore their sexuality, learning how to explore expression and communication, and being able to do all those things to create deeper intimacy in relationships. Mm, That is amazing. And I feel like this work is so needed in the world. I don't know if there is a human being who exists who doesn't have some sort of guilt or shame programmed into them, especially around sexuality. I mean, that was one of the biggest struggles I had, still have, right? Something I'm constantly working through and it takes, it has taken so much internal work for me um, to even become okay with the idea of sexuality, especially in my early twenties. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I'd love to dive deeper into that topic because uh, I feel like it's something we haven't really discussed on the podcast yet. So, well, first of all, why is it or do you believe that it's important um, for anyone to to dive into their own sexuality and to integrate it and to look deeper into whatever shame or repressed emotions they have around it? Yeah, so I, I absolutely believe it's important if that if the person exploring is wanting to go on that journey, because this journey is not for everyone. I mean, sexuality is at the core of who we are as human beings, which is a beautiful thing, right? It it kind of explains why it is so natural to who we are and why it's so important, but also it's at the core of our identities, which is oftentimes under our conscious awareness, which means when we dig some of that stuff up, it can throw us for a loop. So if someone is not resourced or choosing to go down that rabbit hole, then I don't recommend it for everyone. Some people feel okay and fine with where they are currently. And that's cool. That's an empowered choice. And for the people who are like, Hey, you know what? I feel dissatisfied here, or I know there's more for me, or I'm longing for this other exploration, then yes, it can be a, a pivotal area to explore in our lives. And I'm of the belief through personal experience, through working with tons of clients on this, that when we explore something so core to who we are, every other area of our life changes. And if we're doing exploration in an intentional way, it positively impacts every other area of our life. So exploring our sexuality can positively impact our physical health and well-being, our mood, our emotional state, our financial state, how we show up at work and our career progression, our spiritual connections, our relationships to other people. So this is something that when we view ourselves as holistic, we see that, oh my gosh, sexuality touches into everything. And so it can be extremely important that if someone's ready and willing to go on that journey, that this is something that can open up and transform every area of their life. And, you know, sometimes we'll come with challenges or, or uncomfortable moments along the way, but that's why it can also be so important to seek support, seek guidance, whether that's through podcasts, books, coaches, therapists, trusted friends, etc. Right. This journey is not meant to be walked alone. I deeply, deeply believe that, especially around sexuality. And if someone is a full body, yes, going down that rabbit hole, as you called it, What might that actually look like? Okay, so the first word that came up for me, and mind you, I will say that every path is unique to the person, right? The way I explain this may be different than how someone else experiences it. But through my work, through my personal experience, I have found that what is at the foundation of sexual expression, liberation, freedom is emotional and psychological safety. So exploring what allows us to feel emotionally and psychologically safe to be who we are as we are with all of our own preferences, kinks, desires, boundaries, fears is what allows our bodies to open, especially as those who identify as women, because we are in many cases, the recipients, right? Both, you know, from a a spiritual and energetic perspective, but also from a physiological perspective, if we're receiving a male into us, um, then it is, it's paramount that we're open to receiving that. Otherwise it can feel unwanted, like force, like a violation. And so what creates that openness in our bodies is feeling psychologically safe and feeling emotionally safe. And that might, those kinds of things may appear through heartfelt, honest conversation about sexual needs and boundaries, about um, everyone's sexual health status before, you know, engaging in sexual activity. Uh, That might appear as needing to know what this is before we have sex. What is our relationship status? Or, you know, these are all ways that creating that emotional and psychological safety can pop up. But I have seen amongst many women, men as well, um, and in my own personal experience that when I have that, when people have that, then they feel safe to say, you know what, I want to try this, or hey, that's not really my jam. Can we not do that? 
there is this place of transparency, of authenticity, and even, you know, in addition to that, this like playground of curiosity, of exploration, of fun, of deep intimacy and emotion, because sex and sexuality can be so many things. You know, I used to think that it always needed to be like hot and passionate, 50 shades of gray, sexy. <laughs> but sometimes sex is emotional. Sometimes it's vulnerable. Sometimes both of us feel a little out of it and we want to connect, but we're not feeling like our sexiest selves. So it can be all of these things. And if we have that bedrock of emotional and psychological safety, then it can be whatever is authentically there for us. Mm. So it seems like what it sounds like is a big part of creating that emotional and psychological safety is having open, sometimes very vulnerable communication. And for me in my life, oh, that has been a journey. Um, and I, I, I know, especially in the beginning of my journey, for me, it was always a fear of, oh, if I communicate my needs, I'm going to be rejected. Mm-hmm. And for me, like a rejection was the same as, oh, I'm unworthy. <laughs> I'm losing love, right? From like all of that past conditioning. And it was extremely difficult for me um, to overcome that. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people who probably have similar experiences. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that something that you've come across when people that you work with? Oh my gosh. That's basically every single person. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not alone. (laughs) Yeah. You, in fact, you are so not alone that I, like, if we all understood that this is like one of our deepest fears and concerns Mm -hmm. as humans, biologically, like the fear of being rejected when we were all cavemen and cave women meant getting kicked out of the tribe. And if we got kicked out of the tribe, that would threaten our survival because then we wouldn't have our fellow cavemen and cave women there to protect us and let us know that a lion was coming, right? We, we are tribal communal beings. And while consciously being rejected or having someone say, I'm not into you, doesn't mean we're going to get kicked out of our entire tribe. There is a part of our, our limbic brain that, perceives that this rejection means a threat to our survival. So I say that because this is not a silly or concern or trivial fear. So for anyone who's experiencing that, it's real. It's real. And there is a very um, biological drive to doing whatever it takes to keep love. And I, I know that that's a quality that pops up a lot for women because especially as women, we are very communal beings. So yes, we've boiled it down to this, you know, very simple phrase called people pleasing, which we can psychoanalyze. And there are are many reasons for that. And there's a deep biological drive to stay in community. So I, I say that to show that there's no reason to minimize that fear coming up for someone. In fact, I have a lot of compassion for myself and for everyone else who experiences that because the thought that I have is like, oh my gosh, of course, why wouldn't I be concerned about being rejected? Is it logical? Maybe not. Is it deeply hardwired and something that I want to be compassionate with so that I can work with internally? Absolutely. Mm, I love that because I think for me, oftentimes what is worse than my fear of being rejected is my judgment of myself for having the fear and thinking, Oh, what? I should be able to do this. Like mm-hmm. I should be able to communicate. Other people do this. And, um, you know, I think the judgment and the guilt and the shame can be almost more traumatizing than the fear itself. Yeah. And, and so I think that that self-acceptance piece and understanding that wait, this is biological, you know, th- this isn't just me that in itself, just hearing that is like, Ooh, like that lifts something off of my shoulders. So I think, yeah, so important and so incredible. And I guess, you know, something else that I feel I get messages about this all the time is people who are wanting to really shame. Um, They want to be able to communicate with their partners and they want to be able to manifest a more intimate relationship. Um, But there's shame around expressing the things that they want because I think that um, it's silly or it's embarrassing or it's too kinky. Um, what would you say to, to someone who had those fears? Yeah. First of all, I see you. Like I see you, I feel you, I am you. I cannot tell you how many areas of my life that I have, you know, worked through where I've seen shame. And in Mm -hmm. fact, I I had a, a recent 
plant medicine journey where all of the areas that I was holding shame like came up in line one by one for me to reconcile them. And I'm like, oh man, I've been holding shame in this area and this area and this area. Oh, hi, hi, hi. And so it's, it is a part of the human experience. So this is again, another one that I, I really want to take a moment to validate because whether the shame got there through conditioning or through a biological imperative to remain a likable member of the tribe, it is something that every human experiences. I don't know one person who's not experienced shame in their life. So that's one part. The other thing is shame, you know, by itself is a word or a concept. What is helpful to understand is how shame appears in our system and our bodies. So for me, when shame comes up, it's typically not a thought of shame first, it is a clenching in my chest. So I get all of these body cues that let me know, like abort mission, get out of here, <laughs> shut it down, become defensive, like run away, distract, use humor, right? Like all of these very intelligent defense mechanisms because one of the most challenging things to feel as a human is shame. Like, and you know, I can't say that definitively for everyone, but it's much easier for me to feel anger, sadness, um, you know, disgust than it is to feel shame. Shame is like, oh my gosh, you know, I would do almost anything to not feel shame. Mm -hmm. So understanding how it arises in your body. So either you can think back to a time when you felt ashamed and see if you can recall what somatic or body experience you were having, what sensations came up. Did something tighten? Did something churn? Did your stomach churn? Did your shoulders you know, slouch over? What was the bodily experience like? Because before we have a thought about, oh, this is a shame. And it came from the time when I had unprotected sex and then it was, right, this is a whole logical progression. But what's happening already before we make sense of things is an experience in the body. So if, if we can say, oh man, that, that chest thing is happening again, like I'm feeling like I want to eject, I'm, oh, I'm gonna go for the defense mechanism. If we can start to build that body awareness, we can work with the body because typically what happens in that situation or those kinds of situations is we go into a heightened uh, arousal state of our nervous system. So we may go from parasympathetic rest and digest into fight or flight, into freeze, into something that signals to our brain and body that we're not safe to be here. And we either need to charge in, get out, or we completely shut down. So knowing what's happening in the body when it comes to working with shame and being compassionate, having patience, saying, okay, my body's doing something. There is an intelligence to how my body functions. So I'm going to trust what it's doing. If it, you know, feels safe enough to do so, let me do what I need to do to create safety. If I don't feel safety already, that might mean taking a breath or asking for a pause and then saying, okay, body, what do you need right now? What's, what's happening? How can I help you? And that might be, you know, providing nurturing self-touch. I'll often touch my chest. I'll touch my arms. I'll touch my face. And that brings me back to the present moment. It lets me know I'm physically safe so that I can open into my emotions, which are the real thing that are at play. And that opens the space to being vulnerable with myself, being vulnerable and authentic with the person who's in front of me, um, and really opening my heart, which is the way through shame is opening our hearts to ourselves. And if there's someone else in the situation with us, revealing our hearts, if it feels safe so that we can create intimacy, because a lot of what allows us to work through shame is relational support. Like we're doing so in deep contact and intimacy with other people. Certainly we can work through shame on our own, but shame is usually a relational thing. And so when we have someone else that feels trustworthy and safe and we say, hey, here's what's really happening. I feel ashamed because of this and here's how it's coming up in my body. I'd really like some support. Can you please just hold space right now? Or can you please just listen without saying anything? Can you please just receive this expression? Because this feels really vulnerable. Mm. And that has 
moved mountains in my life. Yeah, that, I mean, it seems like, you know, for people who are listening and maybe this is a new, they never heard of this before, right? Like being present with your emotions. Um, the first step from what you said, seems like become aware of what it feels like in your body and then become conscious of it so that you're no longer acting from your unconscious defense mechanism. I know you mentioned humor that it's definitely <laughs> one of mine when I feel shame is make a joke. So people don't Me pay too. attention. Yeah. Um, so just noticing when that comes up so that you can begin to make conscious choices to no longer choose um, the defense mechanism or the flight mode or the running away and choose the difficult option, which is to be present with the shame, which is um, obviously extremely difficult and a process of getting to that place. Um, but, you know, I, I think it, it takes time for me being able to actually be present with my emotions has been a journey of years. <laughs> Same. And years of this work. And I think it's never ending. Mm -hmm. um, but you mentioned um, that the process, I use it much more beautiful than I'm going to say it now, but it was something along the lines of the process of um, working through your shame is the same as the process of opening your heart. So mm -hmm. if you want to expand more on that, like what exactly does it mean when you say to open your heart? Yeah. So I'll first talk about the opposite of it because I want to talk about what this can look like for people. And then I'll talk about the actual heart opening process. I have noticed with myself and with clients, with friends, with loved ones, that when there is shame present, especially for the person who's experiencing the shame, there's often a complete shutdown, a withdrawing, a shutting off, a putting walls up, using defense mechanisms like humor, anger, projection, denial, distortion, gaslighting, all of, all of that. Um, and typically, at least in my own experience, when I have felt shame, I've shut people out. So I become almost like a shell of who I am. It's not the fully expressed, embodied, friendly, warm version of me, which I, I really identify with as a part of the, the fabric of my being. And so I, I have tended to shut down. I'll become cold and stoic, short. Um, my, you know, there, there's, there's just uh, a feel of, distance. There's a lot of distance that I put between people and I when I have ex you know, experienced shame in the past. So that's what shame can look like for a lot of people, which is a complete feeling of separation. And that it is this idea of separation. Shame is this construct that works in a way that says, we are bad, we are not worthy, we are not lovable, you know, we are not like the other people who we want to be like, et cetera. And that inherently creates separation energetically, mentally, sometimes physically, we, we separate ourselves. And so the opposite of that, which is this heart opening first starts with opening our hearts to ourselves. And that, you know, in my experience comes from slowing things way down when shame arises we have this tendency to want to speed up and get through it already because it's just so damn uncomfortable that we're like, oh, look at this distraction over here. Or shouldn't we be doing this instead? Or I'm going to tell you this joke or I'm going to just flee the scene. Right. So we speed things up because there's, there's this unbearable sensation in our body that feels like we have no space inside of us. It's like we're going to burst at the seams because there's no space for anything else. And so in those moments, slowing things way down, stepping away from whatever we're doing, taking a deep breath and becoming present, maybe even putting our hands on our body, potentially looking into a mirror if that feels bearable and just saying, okay, like, hey, I, I get that you're, you're feeling something right now. And I'm saying this as if I'm talking to myself, like, whoa, I just want to acknowledge that something's happening. And this feels really intense. This acknowledgement validates my experience because what I want most in those moments that often we seek from other people, but what we want most from ourselves is like, Hey, I see you're having an intense experience. Tell me about that. Like what's happening for you right now. I'm here. I'm listening. I'm all yours. Tell me everything. And this is like showing up to ourselves with unconditional love and acceptance with presence with open-heartedness this is the heart opening 
And it doesn't, it's not some mystical, I mean, of course it can be a mystical experience, but I want to demystify what that means because I want this to be um, attainable for everyone. All it means is just slowing down, acknowledging what's happening and saying, like we're saying to a best friend, damn girl, I see you're going through something. What do you need right now? Like, just tell me what you need. I'm, I'll do it. I'm yours. But saying that to ourselves, that's the open-heartedness. Often when we're in shame, we'll shame ourselves for feeling shame. And that just perpetuates the issue. So going into that space where we validate our experience, where we inquire about our needs, and where we say, you know what, whatever you need, I got your back. Just let me know what it is. If you need to hide your face for the next 12 hours, I got you. Hide your face, you know, delete your apps, whatever. I'm, I'm here for it. And when you feel ready, I'm here for you to reach out to the person that it feels really hard to have a conversation with. I'm here for you to seek advice. I'm here for you to journal or take a bath. That's the open-heartedness that allows us to diffuse the shame and see what the shame is actually hiding, which might be pain, fear, disgust, sadness, confusion. And when we can get to the core of those emotions, then we're working with the juice. The shame just hides whatever's underneath. Hmm. So it sounds like, you know, it's opening your heart is a process of being the support system for yourself that so often we seek in people external to us. Yeah. Right? And then when we project our, our needs on them and obviously they can never meet our needs the way we meet our own, that can just, at least in my experience, um, make the situation even more of a struggle. And when you're speaking, this reminds me a lot. I don't know if this is part of um, your practice or, or what you teach. It reminds me a lot of inner child work. Oh, yeah. Um, the speaking to yourself oh, and yeah. checking on your needs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I love me some good inner child work. Yeah, same. I mean, I think for me, that's been the most transformational part of my process is like, wait yeah. a second, I'm feeling a really happy emotion. Let me check in on my five-year-old self and see how she's reacting and what she needs. Because yeah. almost always when I'm experiencing something intense or heavy, you know, she's freaking out. She's feeling unloved and unworthy and needs me to validate her. Yes. And that's the beginning of almost every single one of my own little self-love talks with myself is, okay, let's check on the little girl. How's she doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a big part of all of this work. Um, but I, I, the, the heart opening, I think is, is so essential to this process. So I'm so happy that you spoke on that. And, you know, in the process of people who are listening, do have a partner and they do want to have a more intimate, conscious relationship. And they want to be able to open their hearts to their partner. Uh, is that a similar process of like opening the heart on your own and then having the open conversations with the partner or what are best practices for, um, for people who desire that. Sure. So the process, you know, I've, I have tried this so many different ways. I've made utter messes. I have, <laughs> you know, gone through this gracefully. I think I've been like my own guinea pig for how I lead other women and couples through this work. So it's, if there is space to do this inner exploration, in a, in a solo fashion to really understand our own needs first, then that can be really helpful. Of course, we can work with a partner to work through our needs and understand what they are because sometimes we don't know. We don't know what we need. And especially as those who identify as women, oftentimes, you know, we don't know what we need because we weren't taught that our needs matter, whether that was in a familial construct, society, culture, whatever. So we are learning as adult women how to recognize, validate, and speak up for our needs. It's not that we ever got this, these teachings as a five-year-old girl, like we're learning them now. So one, compassion there. What I have found in relationships are, is that when I show up with my partner, it's, it can be helpful for me to understand what it is I need before I address him. Now, this is one scenario. So I might say, hey babe, listen, there's something happening right now that's really challenging for me. What I need is for you to just listen. At the moment, I'm not currently looking for feedback, but I would love to have a space to express this. Is that something you're open for? 
he can say yes or no. We're both, you know, agreeing to be there in the conversation in this dynamic. So he knows he's not offering me feedback or coaching or advice or to quote unquote fix the problem. So in that case, it was helpful for me to do the internal, you know, introspection to say, okay, I want to share this. It's going to be vulnerable. I'm feeling shame about it. And here's what I need. Now, if I don't know what I need and I want to interact with a partner, I may just say something like, this is feeling really vulnerable. I, I want to share this with you. And I'll say this is, this is sort of like ninja level. I have, before I even got to the idea that I could say words like this and that I could be um, compassionate in my communication, both with myself and with my partner, what this looked like was projecting anger, getting defensive, avoiding the situation altogether, you know, having him give me feedback and then me throwing it back at him and gaslighting, right? Th these were some of the unconscious shadow ways that dealing with my shame was showing up. As I started to have enough examples to say, you know what, this doesn't feel functional. This is not how I want to create my relationship. This doesn't feel good for either of us. And we're spending most of our time trying to solve relationship problems instead of living our purpose. Something needs to change. Then I started understanding, okay, what is it that I really need? How am I feeling? What soothing mechanisms work for me that I discovered self-touch? I discovered talking to my little girl and saying things like, you're safe, I love you. I discovered that taking space was a soothing mechanism that really worked. I discovered that journaling really works for me. And then as I understood what my needs were, it allows me to say, hey babe, here's what's going on, here's what I need. Or if he addresses me with something, me being able to say, okay, wow, this is, you know, this is really hard for me right now. Or even being able to watch myself in a defense mechanism and say, all right, it's okay. I see this is coming up and working through it. So there is no right way to, the, there's no better way than any other way. There's only the way that feels aligned for you and your partner in terms of addressing the things that feel deeply vulnerable and sensitive. Mm. So it seems like it's a process of slowly becoming more and more conscious of patterns you're falling into or are not falling into, noticing how your body feels when emotions come up, um, and then having your own practice of discovering your needs so that you can actively communicate them, right? Because if you don't know your own needs, you can't expect your partner to need them or to, right. to be able to meet them. Right. Um, yeah, that's that's extremely powerful. And and do I'm curious for people who are listening, like, wow, like I need that. Um, is this something that you work on with people? Do you work with couples? Do you work with singles? Um, who is it that you typically support? Absolutely. So I work with singles and couples. Um, and this is like the core of the work. Everything is built upon the foundation of how we create emotional and psychological safety for ourselves, whether we're single or partnered, and then how we can go on to create that in a relational context. So this is like the nucleus of the work that I do with people that then kind of informs how we communicate how we show up sexually, how we navigate our emotions, how we navigate our partner's emotions. So yes, to all of that. Amazing. And we'll make sure we have all your links for people who want to reach out to you. Awesome. And I know that when you were chatting, you mentioned that uh, feminine and masculine polarity is a big part of everything that you teach. Um, I'd love for you, for people who are brand new to this concept, have never even heard of that, um, maybe to first just explain what that even is. Yeah. So masculine and feminine polarity dictates everything in the universe. So let me take it at the top level for a moment. We are beings that perceive duality. So for example, we perceive light and dark, black and white good and bad. We assign judgments and labels to things. We perceive you and me. We perceive ourselves as separate from one another. And that's where boundaries come in. This is where I end and you begin. I am Lee, you are Kristen. My mom is my mom, my dad is my dad. They're not me in you know, my sort of perception here and now. So same, the same thing is true with masculine and feminine polarity. These are balancing and complementary energies that exist within all of us 
that are not dictated necessarily by gender. So what I mean by that is we all have masculine energy. We all have feminine energy. Just because I identify as a woman does not mean I only have feminine energy. And just because someone identifies as a man does not mean they only have masculine energy. In fact, what we find is that people typically feel most integrated and balanced when they have a mix of the two that feels good for them. And so it doesn't mean we have to have a 50-50 split either. Now, masculine and feminine energy are qualities that we see in ourselves and in others. So I'll describe some of the masculine and some of the feminine. Note that this is not an exhaustive list. But when we're looking at things like a masculine, masculine energy that is being that is in balance and healthy and integrated, we see things like someone who is direct, clear, logical, courageous, present, aware, someone who is potentially a great leader, someone who is, um, can organize and analyze very well. Um, so those are qualities of the masculine. The masculine also tends to be outward and penetrating. So in energy, sometimes in emotion, and then also in you know, how we relate to each other sexually. The masculine, the man, penetrates. With the feminine, the feminine is receptive, intuitive, feeling, emotive, creative. The feminine is literally the creative force. The feminine, the female women are the ones who create new life. We also see that the feminine, when she's integrated, is um, open-hearted, kind, compassionate, is in flow. So neither set of qualities is better or more right than the other. We need both sets. And when we have both and we know when and how to utilize them, we feel good. We can be in a masculine season where we're working on a project or starting a business and we're like going, we're doing, we're outward, we're networking and that feels good. And then maybe at the end of the day or during winter time, we're like, you know what? I'm gonna just chill for a bit. I'm gonna go inward, I'm gonna reflect, I'm gonna create the next thing or you know, I'm gonna show up in relationship and I'm gonna be open-hearted and nurturing instead of trying to solve and fix the problem which is an attribute of the masculine. So when we see people with masculine energy, we often see that they are problem solvers. They wanna fix, they have solutions. They see where the, the issues are and they want to create solutions. When we see people have feminine energy, we see that they're open-hearted, they listen, they're compassionate. Just tell me, oh my gosh, wow, that must've been really challenging for you. So this is masculine and feminine when it's balanced. Now, when either of these attributes goes without balance from the other, then we go into the realm of the wounded masculine and feminine. And when we're in the wounded masculine, because we don't have inner balance with feminine, open-heartedness, compassion, creativity, flow, we become aggressive, critical, judgmental. We become perpetrators. Typically for women, we, we perpetrate ourselves. We become critical of ourselves, judgmental. Look at this blemish. Look at this role. I'm five pounds heavier than I used to be. This isn't good enough. I'm not good enough. This is an imbalanced masculine energy. And when we show up to ourselves like that, we show up in relationships like that. Now, if we are in an unbalanced feminine energy and we don't have balance from you know, an integrated masculine, then we're in, in victimhood, powerlessness, neediness, codependency, over-emotionality where emotions are imbalanced. And, you know, we find ourselves in that place. So in order to feel integrated and powerful and open-hearted, we need a balance of both. And, you know, a part of the work is bringing our shadow aspects into awareness, which is a lot of what we've been talking about and saying, okay, I see that I've been in victimhood. How can I love on that? And how can I be present for it so that I can bring that out of the shadow and into the light and actually just be and show up how I want to. And same thing with shadow masculine qualities. Mm. So do you feel that it's important for someone to become aware of which parts of their feminine or masculine energies are, um, I guess, not integrated or coming from a more wounded place? Um, especially in terms of wanting to call in or already being in and wanting to um, pursue a more intimate connection in a partnership? 
Absolutely. Like 100%. Mm. I, I think this is one of the most important concepts to understand and not only to understand intellectually, but to learn how to embody because, you know, you can talk about this stuff all day, but if we're not living it in our lives and knowing how to apply it and giving ourselves a space to explore how we're showing up and, and what we like, then oftentimes we're seeing relationships that are where we're replaying the same unhealthy relationship dynamics over and over again, where we're unhappy, where we feel like, you know, as women, we are being overly controlling, where we're mothering our partners, where we're not feeling like we're being met by our partners, where uh, we keep attracting the same kinds of partners and we don't know why. It's typically because we don't have an awareness of how these dynamics are playing out and we haven't learned to embody them. And that's the core of relationships. There's masculine and feminine energy within us. So we learning how those energies interact within us is at the foundation of this. And then learning how our energy goes and interacts with other people's energy, especially people we're looking to be in romantic partnership with is hugely important. That is one of the main things that I teach inside my program is how we actually navigate and embody these aspects to create intimacy and well-being. Mm. Um, I once had, um, cause I feel like there's so much information out there around masculine feminine energy and what you need to do. And oh, you need to be, you know, the perfect feminine woman to attract a masculine man and all this stuff out there. And some of it is just like puke worthy. Um, mm -hmm. so I love hearing you speak about it. I once had someone tell me that I need more feminine energy. And so I should go watch a Hallmark movie and become more like those girls. <laughs> yeah. It, I was oh, like, no. you, Oh my God, it was awful. Um, and in that moment, I was like, Wait, oh, I have gosh, to ask, was I it a woman that? or a man that told you this? It was a man. <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah. Yeah. It was in the moment. It was extremely triggering for me. I was all questioning myself like, wait, should I do that? Do I need to be more like the girls in the movies? You know, but you know, obviously that is obvious, horrible puke worthy advice. Um, but I would love to hear from your perspective if someone is wanting to embody um, healthier feminine energy or healthier masculine energy, what would that actually look like? Absolutely. Um, so a big part of that, the first step is awareness. So if anyone is hearing this and you're like, wow, this is the first time I'm hearing about it. You now have a new awareness that these energies exist within us, within everyone. And these dynamics are playing out in relationships. So the first thing here is, the one word that I really love using to represent masculine and feminine for masculine, it's unwavering presence. So how do we show up to ourselves as unwaveringly present? What that means is if, if we were to take this outside of ourselves and I, you know, brought something to a friend and I'm like, yeah, I'm really struggling with this. or I'm having a hard time, or I don't know how to solve this. If they showed up as unwavering, unwaveringly present, they would be there. They would listen actively. They would, like, they would really hear me out. They would hold space for me and my experience. And they wouldn't interrupt. They wouldn't judge me. They wouldn't shame me. They wouldn't try and fix me or solve the problem. They would just be present. If we did that one thing for ourselves, we would learn a whole lot that we haven't had access to because we've been trying to change ourselves and fit ourselves into a box and make ourselves some other way, right? That sort of behavior is inherently violent. Like we have been so violent to ourselves. You must be like this. You shouldn't be like this. This isn't good enough. That's violent behavior. So if we could shift that into saying, all right, whatever arises, yes, just tell me, show me, let me see unwaveringly present. That is the masculine. The masculine is the space in which now the feminine emotes and exists. So the feminine, the, the phrase I like to think of is unconditional acceptance, unconditional love. So now that I have presence here, how can I just say, oh my gosh, yes, that's coming up for you. Okay. That's what's coming up. Yeah. Tell me more about it. I accept that I feel ashamed right now. I don't like it. I don't want to feel it, but hey, here's how it is for me right now. 
I accept that I just projected all of this anger onto my partner and I do not feel proud of that. I don't like that I showed up that way, but that's what I did. So how can I create this sense of acceptance and open-heartedness with myself? And that, those two things, if we forgot everything else I said, those two things create this beautiful masculine and feminine um, sort of like duo that allows us to integrate and start to embody the other things. That, when we show up like that for ourselves, we create what's called a divine union. So there's integration, like the two parts of ourselves, masculine and feminine can join just like a marriage union between two people. There is a union inside of us. When we create that integration, typically we feel whole, we feel happy, we feel in acceptance of ourselves. We're like, yeah, this is who I am. Whoever wants it, you can come be a part of it. And if you don't, that's cool too, love you. Here's who I am, I'm not gonna apologize for my existence. And that's where I'm going to attract this like great match of a relationship for me. That's where I'm going to be able to stand in my truth in my current relationship and be able to hold space for myself and hold space for my partner and say, okay, this is, yeah, this is how I feel happy and whole. Powerful. So what you're describing about the healthy balance between masculine and feminine, it sounds similar to the way you described dealing with shame, opening your heart, right? It's like, it is one and the same, all of this work. And so powerful. Obviously, that cannot be learned in a Hallmark movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, but thank you for sharing that. That is extremely powerful. And the last thing I want to dive into with you is about the high priestess, because um, I know that is something else that you work with. So, so who is the high priestess and what does it mean to embody that? Absolutely. So the high priestess is a full spectrum woman. She is a woman who has integrated her masculine and feminine attributes. This is not, you know, contrary to modern belief, the woman who is only in her feminine. The high priestess has a powerful masculine side to her, and she knows exactly how to, how to use it when. She also feels comfortable and powerful in her feminine because she trusts in the process. She trusts herself. She accepts herself. And let me you know, make a caveat that embodying your inner high priestess does not mean you have it all figured out. It doesn't mean you always accept yourself or that you always feel great. It just means that you're willing to keep showing up. Like, yes, okay, that last one was freaking hard for me. Okay, let's, let's get back on the horse. Let's, let's keep going. I got this. Or I, I can reach out to the person who's going to remind me that I've got this right? These are all admirable qualities, this courage, this relentlessness, the vulnerability, the one who opens her heart and lets herself be seen when she feels like a hot mess, right? There's vulnerability in that. And the one who can take that and can contain that within herself and doesn't project it out at others. Or if she does, becomes aware and restores integrity with the people onto whom she projected and says, hey, you know what? I didn't want to show up like that. Here's how I'd like to show up instead. I want to acknowledge the impact of my behavior, here's what I'm gonna do differently next time. So it's this woman of integrity, of leadership, of open-heartedness. I think she's the one that we all aspire to be and also the one that we have within us that as we walk through our shame, as we open our hearts to ourselves and as we let other people in, this is who will naturally appear. And she has different flavors depending on who we are and what we're here to do in life. So she's not any one way, but she is the one that we show up as when we are leading ourselves through our own transformation and evolution. So it seems like the process of opening your heart and integrating the shame and the, the heaviness and balancing masculine and feminine energy is the process of beginning to step into and embody that, that high priestess version of ourselves, yeah. right? <laughs> That's beautiful. And for anyone out there who is like, yes, I need this. I want to learn to do that. I want to work with you, et cetera. Um, what, are, what are the best ways for them to connect with you, to work with you, to find you, et cetera? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Lee Noto underscore L-E-E-N-O-T-O. -E you can also go to my website, leenoto.com or feel free to shoot me an email, hello at linoto.com. 
amazing and we'll have everything linked and i have one last question for you before we go i love asking people this if you had the version of yourself sitting in front of you um from five years ago ten years ago whatever you feel was um, one of the lower points in your life um, what would you say to her the first thing that came through was you got this i love you Mm. Mm. i got chills Like, like you girl you got this like i today sitting in front of you across the zoom screen i am so proud of who i've created myself to be i'm so humbled by the journey and by the moments where i felt like i've been completely on my knees the moments where i have felt empowered the moments where i have used my story to help others like if if i could go back to the one that was you know struggling with heartbreak and who had given herself bell's palsy because she didn't know how to deal with her emotions mm. i'd be like girl you got this i promise like you're going to figure this out you are so supported and cared for by me i love you keep going like just keep walking that's mm. what i would love to hear mm full body chills the whole time you were speaking. I think there's a lot of people probably need to hear that. So yeah. Thank you for everything you shared Mm -hmm. uh, on this episode. It's so good. I'm so, so honored that you got to be here and speak with us and share with us so vulnerably. So thank you so, so, so much, Lee. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Of course. 